0: The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King Hello and welcome to this episode of the Collective Whisper podcast. I am your host, Simon Kay, and welcome along to another great show. We have an amazing guest on the show today. But before we get to that guest, as always, make sure you subscribe and follow the show and share with all your friends. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, on to this week's guest. On this episode, I speak with Avril Smith and her son, Michael, as they share their powerful journey of growing up with Down syndrome. Co-written by Avril and her son, their book, Michael's Story, offers an honest and inspiring account of the dreams and challenges that come with Down syndrome. It's a captivating autobiography written in Michael's own voice, where he shares his deepest hopes, dreams, and experiences, all with the touch of wit, humor, and the occasional dash of mischief. Avril's unwavering support and dedication to Michael's growth shine through the pages of their book. Through their combined efforts, they provide invaluable advice, tips, and guidance based on their first-hand experience of raising Michael. They navigate the complexities of both the educational and health systems, ensuring that Michael receives the best opportunities available to him. Michael's story is more than just a book. It's a beacon of hope and inspiration for families, parents, guardians and anyone who wants to understand life from a unique perspective. Avril's unwavering love for her son and her determination to create a fulfilling life firm is truly remarkable. She reminds us all that happiness is a choice and that by embracing the bright side of life, we can overcome any obstacle. Throughout this episode, Avril will share her personal anecdotes, triumphs and challenges, providing insights that will touch your heart and change the way you perceive Down syndrome. Their story is a testament to the power of unconditional love, resilience and the strength of the human spirit. So grab a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Find a comfortable spot and join me in this extraordinary conversation with Avril Smith and her son, Michael. Together, we will delve into the depths of their inspiring journey, celebrating the beauty and uniqueness of every individual. This is Michael's story. Hello, Avril Smith. Welcome to the show. Morning Simon, how are you? It's a pleasure to have you here, you know I was talking to Avril before we came on air And we're talking about the importance of her new book Michael's story about her son Michael And we're talking about the importance of spreading this word to people And telling the story of Down syndrome And how it affects the lives and the families of the people who have this illness So it's great to have you on the show And it's great for you to come here and tell us your story So
1: Thanks very much indeed Simon, Uh, we're very proud of uh, Michael's story. It's a book that spans over 26 years of Michael's life from early years right through into teenage and into adulthood. And the purpose of writing the book was to help those following in our footsteps and find perhaps maybe an easier path than we found. It was trial and error with us. And I suppose 26 years ago, there was, wasn't was as much help out there as there is today. There wasn't as much awareness about Down syndrome. So I did a lot of research before doing the book and I could find a lot of information on early intervention. But when it came to the school years and teenage years and early adulthood years it was really a mile a mile field out there and you were knocking at doors and fighting for help and looking for avenues and looking for the right direction for your child so that was the purpose in putting the book together so I hope if people reading it, if they pick up one tip or two tips, the purpose of writing the book will have been fulfilled, from my
0: point. You know, we'll get into the book a little later, but tell us about Michael himself, because unfortunately, Michael can't be with us today. But tell us about Michael as a person. Like, What kind of a person is he?
1: Uh, don't be surprised if Michael drops in at some point. He may very well. Brilliant. Very well put his head in. That'll be great. Um, Michael's a great guy. I mean, he's a wonderful addition to our family. He's humorous he's funny he's a great sense of humor he's quite a character he's independent he's very good on digital like if I have a problem with di- digital issues Michael come here can you help me with this he's way ahead of me he went through normal primary school and we were very lucky we had a fantastic support system here in Black Rock in County Dublin in Guardian Angels primary school and they were just Fantastic. Now, he did struggle in fifth and sixth class, I have to say, and it was probably a little bit beyond him. But he kept saying to me, "Mom, I want to make my confirmation here. I want to make my confirmation here. So we stuck it out once we finished sixth class, It was a little bit more difficult because I really didn't know where to go. So I started looking at various different schools and one particular school that I really was interested in. the headmaster sat me down and he said, Average, you really want Michael to come to this school?" And I said, "I'd love him to be accepted here and he said, "Well, if he was my son, I wouldn't send him here." And I kind of was taken aback when he said that. And I said, why? And he said, well, a child with special needs coming to a mainstream school will remain in the classroom for about 20% of the time. The other 80% of the time, they'll be in the library with an SNA, or they'll be walking around the corridors, or they'll be sitting drinking tea, and they'll be isolated from their classmates. And that gap will widen and widen as he progresses through school. Now, that was something I hadn't thought about. Like I was imagining, oh, yeah, Michael's going to have a whole new circle of friends in this school. But of course, he wasn't going to be able to do science. He wasn't going to be able to do maths. He wasn't going to be able to do history. He certainly wasn't going to be able to study French or Spanish or German. So what was he going to do in class? I hadn't really given it any thought, you know. And I I uh, was so grateful to that man because he was absolutely honest with me in, in telling me the truth. My child was not capable of going through a mainstream school, even though it was what I wanted, but it wasn't what was best for him. So at that point, you know, I was hitting blank wall after blank wall after blank wall, and it was May before... He was due to, he was leaving the school, primary school in June, and we still had no place. And he was now 14. So he was 14 because he was later starting school because of health issues in the early years. So we kept him in Montessori for two extra years. So in the end, anyway, the HSE and St. John of Gods here sat us down and said, look, you know, there is a place in the special needs unit in a primary school. And this is where we suggest you go. Now, we've no choice. It was the only option and as parents even some of the other parents weren't that happy about it it wasn't great but it was the only option we had at the time. They did maths, they did English, they were isolated in the unit. They were very much isolated from the rest of the school. They joined them the odd time for music and drama and they joined them for maybe an art class. But other than that, they came in on the bus, they went in another door, they came out another door and they were isolated. Now, he could have stayed there for five years, but after four years, I felt he's not learning anything here. He's There was no life skills. They weren't trained. But really, at that point, Michael needed to be learning how to cook. He needed to to know how to go on a bus. He needed to know how to manage money. They were following a curriculum. They weren't following special needs curriculum.
0: Can I go to a point there that you mentioned how the other parents weren't that happy about it? So that's kind of a sensitive subject, isn't it? Because I think for any parent who has a child with special needs, there is a point where people talk about being compassionate or whatever. But if people don't have a child with special needs in their family, I mean, they don't have the full scope of the situation. And then sometimes when the two worlds mix, people, they're saying, oh, well, I don't know. Will that be suitable for the child? And it's kind of, it's a hard thing to bear because you're wondering where are they coming from? Do they not want the special needs children are mixing with their children? Do they feel that there'll be more attention paid to the special needs child? What did you find kind of were the reasons the parents had doubts or had uh, reservations about it?
1: Some of the children are brighter than others, Simon. Like some, Michael was reading and he was writing. He was never great at maths, but he could do them with the calculator. Uh, Money management has always been an issue. So the Revolut card has been a whole leap of faith for him because he doesn't have to worry about money. But some of the children in that group were brighter than Michael and were capable really of their potential wasn't reached. You could see it wasn't being reached. I know Michael's potential wasn't reached. I mean, he did fine in music. He did fine in arts and crafts. He did fine in drama. But the teachers were there doing maths and spelling and writing. And it was like following the, you know, the Department of Education curriculum rather than their special curriculum. There should have been a new curriculum devised in that special needs unit for our children. And they should have been in different groups, you know, for those that had more potential than those that had no potential. Like there were some in the, in the classroom that didn't have potential and that were, I'd say, were probably totally lost. We were middle 11 there, but there were even brighter kids there that weren't getting what they needed, you know. I mean, he was 18 when he left. He didn't know how to go into a shop and buy anything. He didn't actually know how to use a bus. He was being collected and he was being dropped home. So it wasn't really, it wasn't helping him to blossom in any shape or form we were never going to have an einstein so i didn't want an einstein coming out of that school i just wanted somebody with life skills you know
0: yeah and as you said it you have to make the best of the situation you have and the thing about it is i think in in any school is any school properly equipped because it all depends on the individual and everyone has different needs so as time has gone on They have found ways.
1: Michael, I say hello to Simon. Simon is talking about your ball.
0: (laughs) Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. It's lovely to meet you.
1: Michael has just got up.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, for some.
1: He's telling you it's my birthday next week, Simon.
0: (laughs) Oh, your birthday last week. We'll have to say happy birthday to your mum. Can you sing happy birthday?
1: Can you sing happy birthday to me? Yeah. Oh, we'll have music and we'll have the guitar. He left the guitar out on the day, won't you? Yeah.
0: Oh lovely he, he can see I have all my guitars here I play music
1: Oh Yeah True Simon in person
0: yeah. You like guitars Michael? Well tell, tell me about it
1: tell, Oh he has a very good friend Simon Rory Gallagher Who owns the bar Over in Lanzarote Rory and the island a good friend of ours
0: Oh that's brilliant A great musician
1: And he gave Michael a guitar One year when we were there As a present
0: Oh that's lovely Yeah And, Michael, are you learning to play the guitar?
1: Yes, he is. He's having guitar, ongoing guitar lessons.
0: What's his favourite song? (laughs) (laughs) Look at the man himself. Fair play to you, Michael. That's the best picture I've seen in a long time.
1: He likes a lot of um, ABBA music, don't you?
0: ABBA, wow, great band.
1: ABBA and Glee and Grease Lightning.
0: And does he like to sing? Do
1: you like singing? Tell Simon.
0: Yes. 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 And Michael, you know, I'm very interested in your story, and me and your mum are talking about your story and your book. So I want to say, well done for writing the book. It's a great book.
1: Hey, thank
0: you. And, my daddy. and his dad is in the book too. Yeah. His dad is in the book. Yes. I was reading all about your dad and the Croatian connection and everything. Lots of really interesting points. And your brother? Your
1: brother's your number one, isn't
0: it? <laughs> he's your number one. Do you do you pronounce your brother's name Mate or me? Mate?
1: mate. Mate.
0: Mate, okay. My brother Habibi. Where's that name from? Mate.
1: Mate is Croatian for Matthew. What? Matita. Huh? And Dad Mum. And dad, yeah, he's called after his grandmother whose name was Matthew.
0: Oh, okay. And Michael, you had a hospital visit yesterday. did you enjoy that or you don't like the hospital? No. Yeah. No. You didn't? No. I can understand. Nobody likes the hospital. But you look great. You look great. Sammy, my brother, what?
1: One nine nine one. Okay. Oh he's telling his brother was born in nineteen ninety one. Yeah. That's fine. And you were born in nineteen ninety six.
0: He knows all the numbers. That's really cool.
1: Numbers and birthdays, we don't forget anything.
0: You don't forget anything. Michael, I've said it's well for some you're getting up this time of day. Fair play to you. I like to get up late on a Saturday if I can too. It's the best time.
1: You go and get yourself a drink now.
0: See you later, Michael. Yeah, that's nice. He's a lovely guy. He's lovely. Do you find that like when he's communicating, do you have to help him to for people to understand? And because I can imagine talking to him, you get used to him after. Oh, Bernie.
1: He has that since he was a baby, haven't you?
0: Wow. Bernie and friends.
1: We use a mixture of love sign languages. We also use the Talk For Me app on the phone. So he can text out something and say, "Mom, I would like to go to Stillorgan," And I might not make it out maybe verbally, but if he types it and puts it on the Talk For Me app, it actually talks out his message for him. So it's a fantastic app.
0: Okay, okay. And is that app, what kind of voice does it have or can you put, get different voices?
1: You can get various different voices on it. You can get male or female or whatever you want, yeah.
0: Oh that's really cool Yeah It's very interesting How some people now With motor neurons Or muscular dystrophy That are losing Their vocal cords And stuff It's There's a lot of Great technology now For you know Getting your voice Like you see Charlie Bird He uses an app For putting So it, it's cool That there is this Technology now Isn't it
1: Fantastic Yeah And I can make out As you say Simon The longer you're with him The more you actually Understand him Like last Sunday For instance We met a first cousin Of mine who had seen Michael for probably two or three years and he was fascinated at how he could communicate with Michael. He said, come on so much, I can make out every single thing he's saying. And, uh, you know, I was delighted to hear that.
0: That's good. I mean, that's great. And I can imagine for you through the years when you didn't have this technology or these kind of aids, it was probably pretty difficult because maybe Michael wanted to communicate with people and you you knew what he was saying, but you were, or, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of difficulty even in, with schools and everything, no?
1: We had a great vocabulary up to about two and a half. And at two and a half, Michael got meningitis. And he was seriously ill. He was on life support for maybe five weeks. And we ended up really spending the best part of the year in Crumlin Hospital. And they prepared me like when he kind of, when he would come round, you know, we might have to relearn everything. Well, they were right. Like his muscle tone had gone, his speech had gone, everything had gone. And we did not get a word until he was seven. He just didn't talk. Everything was, he just pointed to everything and it was mm, mm. Mm. And I used to say to my dear mum, I used to say, "Mom, do you think he'll ever talk? And mum said, oh, I met a lady on the bus. And she said, her child didn't talk till he was seven or eight. He'll talk. He'll talk.
0: So you kind of had to decipher his body language and the gestures and everything.
1: We were tapping out sounds on the drum. We were going to intensive speech therapy every week. And um, it just nothing was coming. Nothing was coming at all, and then suddenly, when he hit seven, got mama, got dada, started getting drink, started getting various little words, singular words initially, and we went back and again we did intensive speech therapy for years. I think we've plateaued. We're, we're as good as we're going to be now at this point.
0: Right, and is it something with with Down syndrome sufferers that, and I don't even like to use that word sufferers because it kind of sounds like they're always suffering, but I think a lot of these kids have great lives, but. Is it something that their vocal abilities and communicating gets worse as they get older or how, how is that?
1: No, 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 not necessarily at all. Ours was just a double whammy. The meningitis, they told me medically the speech area of his brain had been affected with meningitis. So that was the problem there, but look, it's improved over the years, so you know it it could have stayed as a problem, but it didn't. it's improving all the time, and uh he has a good vocabulary now he can certainly make make himself heard he's good at spelling, he'll spell out the word if you don't get it, and, as I say, he used the app. At worst, when I'm driving, I find it difficult if he's telling me a story and he's using sign language. I have to say, Michael, I can't look at you. And I say, Mum, look, look at the sign. I "I can't look, Michael, I'm driving.
0: (laughs) I had that this morning with my son. He's playing football only like two years now, but he scored his first goal. And you know It lifted his confidence But I didn't notice That when he scored He made the gesture Of the heart to me Like I dedicated it to you dad You know he's nine years old And we were in the car Coming home And he was trying to show me What he did And I was like I can't look I'm driving (laughs) show me in a minute when we stop
1: so you know exactly what i mean
0: <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i want to go back a little bit to the beginning you know when michael was born and how you felt before and i, I want to explain a little backstory here because i always believe with people it's all about connection we always have connections where th- we have things in common and i was explaining to to avril earlier how in my family we had a mentally handicapped sister physically and mentally named bonnie and you know she had a very tough life and she passed away when she. She was 28. And, you know, I, I saw a lot what my, my mother went through and, you know, looking after and it's it's a tough life. And we had our, our father drank a lot. So that didn't help things either. And I've seen that side of it. But something that happened in our lives more recently was we have a new baby and our baby is 15 months old now. But when he was. Yeah, thank you very much. And his name is Kai. So when Kai was five months in the womb, you know, he was when my wife was five months pregnant, she went for a checkup and they told her there was a possibility that the chromosome 21 was there and I remember it at the time it was when she came out and we were sitting in the car like because we're in Alicante and we were sitting in the car and you're kind of like it's like the end of your wor- lo- it's like the end of your world you, you know what I mean you're you're you have this baby and you're you're nurturing it in the womb and you're planning all these amazing things now we're you know we're lucky we had two kids before this but it's still a hard pill to swallow and we were like what what do we do and you know they're saying oh you have options and you'll be all these things and I remember at the time I was like heartbroken because I just thought you know and you can't imagine but the thing was I was thinking about the life my sister had and everything and then you're you're kind of putting two two together and getting five and, you know, and so it's a very hard time to go through. And I I think nowadays with modern technology and, and diagnosis systems, they can prepare people better. But thank God when we got the tests again a month or so later as he developed, he was fine because they found two spots on his brain that were abnormal. Like, the, you know, the, the fluids. And they said this is a, a sign of it. So they, they were preparing us that it could be. But they said we have to give it a few weeks or a few months and we'll do the next test. And thank everything that he was fine.
1: That was bit of news to give you unnecessarily.
0: I mean, I suppose they had to because they had the signs there but the, you know so they had to prepare us but then in the end you know we were very lucky and he's fine he's perfectly healthy now and he's he's 15 months old now and he's lovely
1: no complications, Simon.
0: No complications at all. Everything's perfect. And, you know, hopefully nothing in the future will ever come. But we've, we were very lucky. We were very lucky. And but so I can imagine for you, when you realised or whatever, can you tell us that story when that happened?
1: I'll try and be as brief as I can with this. Prior to Michael, I had lost a baby two years before that. I had lost a little baby girl at birth. And that probably shattered me for about a year. I just couldn't get over, you know, the pregnancy had gone well. And then at the very end, our baby was born and not breathing so it was it was a horrible experience and the gynecologist kept saying look keep trying for another baby one in a million chance anything will go wrong i remember clearly him saying to me one in a million chance but uh, we waited for about a year and then we tried and thankfully michael happened and michael was a very nice pregnancy up to about 20 weeks about 23 weeks into the pregnancy I was suffering from very bad migraines and I rang the hospital and they said, come in. So we went in and he said, I think you're very tired. You're working full time. I'm going to keep you in for a few days for a rest. They did a scan on that Thursday and everything was perfect. On Monday morning, they said to me, we're going to let you go home, but to be sure, to be sure, I'm going to do that. When they did the scan, when they did the scan on Monday morning, they said to me, "We have an issue. Your waters are gone, and we can't let you go home because the baby has no protection." So from 23 weeks on, I had to remain in hospital, and I was being scanned every second or third day. And they said, probably at around seven and a half months, they suspected there was something wrong. Would I go for an angiogram? And I said, No. I said, Is there something wrong? There's something wrong. But I don't want to know. I'm stuck here in a hospital. Like, I do you want me to go insane altogether? So at uh, 31 weeks anyway, Michael wasn't putting on weight anyway in the womb. And um, they decided to deliver him by cesarean at 31 weeks. And he was all of about three pounds. He was tiny. <laughs> So he was in the special care unit. But, you know, he progressed really well. Day on, day on, he was doing really, really well. But he was there about five days. And the nurse said to me, have you noticed anything strange about him? Now, you're looking at a tiny baby. And the love you're feeling for this child who is struggling for life. I just wanted him to breathe. I wanted him to live. And she said, he's sticking his tongue out a lot. Do you know what that's a sign of? And I said, no. And I said, I don't want to know either. Now, she was the only one who observe this we're now on day five or six day nine I'm supposed to be going home the next day Michael's staying in the hospital and my husband was called in and I said what are you doing here at this time and he said they phoned me to come in they want to talk to us I said that's all they haven't said anything to me and with that the consultant the pediatrician came in and they said look you know we've done some tests We were 100% sure there was nothing wrong, but there is uh, Michael Down syndrome. And I actually screamed, Simon. I screamed. I think I kicked the paediatrician. I was lying on the bed. I was really, like, I was annoyed here she was telling us after 10 days, but... Do you know what? I think God works in mysterious ways. I was glad afterwards I hadn't found out earlier because in that ten ten days we bonded. I love this baby, he's my child. I'm going to give him the best life I can possibly give him. It doesn't matter if he's down syndrome, he's alive, he's made it. Our last child didn't make it. So, you know, it didn't it didn't upset me at all. It you know, it was fine. I was just annoyed with with the medics that they had to wait ten days, but do you know I was out with four girls last night And out of the four of us, we all have Down syndrome children. Three of them waited 10 days to find out as well. So apparently it's quite common that if the normal signs are not there, like uh, a Down syndrome child normally has one crease in the palm of their hands. Whereas if you look at your palm of your hand, it's two creases. Yeah. So they they, they look for that sign. The other sign they look for are spaces, bigger gaps between the toes.
0: Two creases. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Michael has two lines on both hands, like you or I. So that was the telltale sign that wasn't there and he didn't have the gap on his toes or he was so small they didn't notice it, you know. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me at all. This was our child and we were going to give him everything he needed. I was just so delighted, you know. He fought like he fought like hell for five or six weeks in special care unit. And every day he was putting on a little bit of weight and a little bit of weight and then when we got him out of the special care unit and we got him into a normal cot and then they allowed us to take him home one Sunday for a few hours. It was just like manna from heaven and it was upwards and onwards after that really.
0: I know in the book there I was reading that like he was tube fed for a while and with difficulty swallowing. So were you able to bring him home or was that and tube feed him at home?
1: I was actually uh, pumping milk and more or less living in the hospital for the duration he was there uh then when we brought him home yeah pumping um no we 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 put him onto a bottle but he really never sucked very well and my mother used to say oh he doesn't like the rubber i don't think he likes the rubber on that bottle but then (laughs) when we when we got back to the hospital, we were back in with a chest infection at some point and the paediatrician came in and I had some sort of a, a natural juice on the table. And she said, I hope you're not giving him that. And I said, no, I just bought it as an emergency to have in case. And she said, well, well you you can't give him that. and I said, well, look, he's not drinking very well and we need to get fluids into him. And I said, everybody else in this unit is giving their kids Diet Coke. Why are you giving out to me, you know? And she said, no, I want you to start putting him on solids and start mixing the breast milk into the solids and spoon it into him and spoon it into him. But actually, we, we, we progressed to a cup very quickly then at about four months. So he was able to drink from the cup. He had a problem sucking in the early stages. Yeah.
0: OK, I can imagine. Yeah. So then as Michael, you know, became a toddler and so on. And, you know, he probably started, as you said, he wasn't speaking until he was seven. But physically... He was independent, I can imagine, and he, like, did he walk later?
1: He was about two and a half when he walked.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, Uh, he was standing for nearly a year before that. But remember, we had the meningitis, which knocked us back. Months and months in Michael's progress. Yeah, he walked. He was quite independent. Toilet trained at about probably three and a half to four. Kind of stuck with it. They gave us advice with uh, John of God's, you know, regulate and put him on, put him on, bring him to the bathroom every hour on the hour, do that for two weeks. Then the next two weeks, bring him to the bathroom every two hours on the two hours. And, you know, he was sort of programmed and he was toilet trained quite quickly. He was So that was... that. I was at a Down Syndrome meeting in Dublin City Centre probably around the time I was toilet training. And there was a lady there and she told me her son was 14. She said, oh, I never managed the toilet training. He's still in nappies. And I'm thinking, 14 and still in nappies? No, this isn't going to happen in our house.
0: They're not like nappies. They're more like incontinence nappies for older men or something. Or people.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it it was good meeting her because she inspired me to make a real effort at the training. It took time off work, it took a month off and I said I'm going to crack this and we cracked it in the month.
0: Wow that's brilliant. Obviously I don't want to give away too much about the book Michael's Story which as I'm going to point out a lot is available in Dun stores and in a lot of other outlets and will be available on other online links we will share later on but In the book, I was reading a bit, obviously, about Mate. And, and, you know, Mate is a big influence on Michael's life. And like anyone, he's his big brother. So tell us about when Michael was born and how Mate approached it. Because he's about five years older, isn't he?
1: Four and a half years older, maybe five, yeah.
0: Four and a half, yeah.
1: Mate was very happy, actually, when Michael arrived. As I was in hospital for nearly 10 weeks, and then we spent another six weeks there. So it was 16 weeks. Matthew was at home with his dad. So, of course, the dad bought him a dog in the meantime. <laughs> so I came home to a garden full of, I won't tell you, dog poo everywhere.
0: Dog shit. You can say it. We don't care about the language.
1: <laughs> and, and I said, this dog can't stay have a baby. Oh, well, Matthew was so thrilled when he got the dog. The baby was secondary, really.
0: Yeah, but but that's it, isn't it? Their, their attention will change to different things.
1: Yeah, he was very good. He was always very patient with them. Like even Matthew used to put blankets on the floor and sit in room and pillows and he'd lie down with them and he'd have Michael watching Power Rangers or Mighty Morphin or all this awful stuff that he used to like to watch at that that point you know mario brothers whatever and Mike, they just hold hands and they'd lie together and you know there's been great pals like always like matthew always says to me "Mum, he's my number one you know never worry about him i'm always here
0: yes 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 and and i you know when he was going to school then and i know you he had like special needs assistant marid and he had different special needs i'm sure there have been people through the years who've really stood out in his life that he has great memories of.
1: Yeah, well, when he was going to school, it was great because Matthew was at school with him for two years or together for two years and then Matthew moved on, of course. And Matthew was very conscious of watching out for Michael that he wouldn't be bullied in school. And his pals are all fairly good tough nuts too so they were all walking out for him you know so it was lovely those couple of years together in primary school was fantastic because we used to walk down together drop them off, and then when they were having their break Matthew'd go over and have his lunch with them and just make sure he was looked after you know Mairead was especially important in her life she was with him for seven years in guardian angel school unfortunately we lost Mairead's while Michael was in sixth class and very sad and that really upset him. She got very sick very quickly and uh, he was extremely upset and the family brought involved him in the funeral arrangements and got him to carry up some gifts to the altar but like he was so upset. So, so upset. Yeah. She was definitely the number one figure in his life in the early years. I suppose Matte and Matte's friends are now a huge part of his life. Uh, Mate has a friend Killian he's a guard and of course Killian comes over even when mate's not here and he'll actually just come over to play the Xbox with him you know or Paul another friend who's out in China when he comes home he'll come over and he'll say Michael the Liverpool match is on over in the well across the road do you want to come and they'll take him to the pub just to go and watch the matches you know so they're, they're a great group of pals
0: I like asking questions that maybe other people don't ask and when Michael now because he's 26 then would he, like, take a pint or or is, that, is alcohol not good for him? No. Right. He's
1: just not interested. He loves Diet Coke.
0: <laughs> loves Diet Coke. Yeah.
1: Do you know what? He loves Diet Coke. And, I mean, a lot of his friends, a lot of his uh, special needs friends drink alcohol. He's just gotten absolutely no interest in that. And I'm just as loud. Yeah, yeah. It's one less worry. Yeah.
0: Because I can imagine for anybody drinking, you know, when they have too much to drink, But in that situation, if you have a special needs child or someone with Down syndrome or whatever like that, and they get drunk, it's probably a whole other ballpark. I mean, because their emotions are different and everything. So it must be quite challenging, too, isn't it? As they become adults.
1: Uh, Yeah, but like if we're having parties, the parents normally, if some of the children are allowed alcohol, they say, they're allowed two drinks or they're allowed one drink or and you know you have to be very vigilant like they're all into birthday parties so 21st the 25th the 18th now it'll be the 30th will be the next big one but we all help each other and we're all vigilant about the alcohol and watching the what what their intake is
0: of course i mean because you know people with perfectly healthy bodies and minds take alcohol and can you know, can it can do a lot of damage to them, not just in the long run, but even alcohol poisoning and all of these things. So, of course, if somebody has special needs like that, maybe their system can't take it. And then, you know, you have to look at the other subject as well, is that if if someone it's I, I suppose it's just as easy for someone with Down syndrome or special needs to become an alcoholic if they drink too much. And then you have a whole other thing to worry about, don't you?
1: Absolutely. So I, I don't have to worry about that. I go off and he'll, he'll call, finish work um, in dun stores here in Black Rock. And there might be a game on at two o'clock in our local pub. And he'll go in, he'll watch it and he'll just order a Diet Coke and he'll sit there on his own and have it, you know.
0: You know, the Croatian connection then because his dad, Mario, he had a tough life. He grew up in a poor family. So tell us like that story about Mario and 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 then obviously how it ties in with Michael nowadays.
1: Oh well, Mario is the love of Michael's life. I say to him, "Who's your number one?" Well, Matty is number one, but Dad's number two. I I come third on the list. I have to say. <laughs> Deep
0: down, you're number one, but it's just on your list. You're.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mario's from Croatia. Uh, came from a very poor family. Uh, his mother was an absolute saint. Uh. Not unlike your story, you had a tough life, Simon. Uh, the uh, war, World War II broke out and she had three children and her husband arranged for her to go to Trieste for safety because at that stage, the women were being raped and they were being abused and the children were being killed and she got to Trieste and she didn't get back to meet her husband for a further seven years. Two of her children died um, en route to Trieste so, one of her children survived, and they reunited, and they went on to have three more children, all boys, six boys they had yeah okay, yeah, yeah, so they had a tough life, you know, they were fairly well off before the war, but they came back with nothing. They had a nice stone house in a very nice place called Opusen over the river um she sewed, she worked like Mario has told us stories like his father died when he was six. So she had to go out to work and she worked on the land and they would be brought in for food, you know, and they would be given maybe bread and I don't know what they got for lunches in these farms that she worked on. But Mario said he used to sit under the table and instead of eating her lunch, she'd pass it down to him to make sure he was fed, you know. I mean, we, we don't know real poverty. We haven't seen what they went through.
0: I think experiences in life are all relative because when somebody, it's like when somebody says they don't have any money, but they have 10 grand in the bank that they don't want to touch. And there's other people that don't have any money in the bank. And they are the people saying, no, I, I really don't have money. But poverty is like that too because and starvation and all of these things. So, you know, some people say they're the hard life, but it's relative to what they know. Because when people come from other countries, you know, and we see it a lot with Ukraine and we see it with other countries, you know you just don't know i I know where we live here i was talking to a girl one day and we were having a conversation it was in the swimming pool and she was from kosovo and she said her father was murdered in the war and you know killed and and i think her mother as well but she was saying it like so calmly and you're kind of thinking it's amazing what other people have to deal with that puts other people's stories in the shade
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, pure hardship, pure, pure hardship. But, you know, like he survived and he made a life. He wasn't here that long in Ireland. Unfortunately, his mum died four days after Matthew was born. Um, And that's why, well, that was the reason we called him Matthew, because her name was Matthew. Yeah, yeah. um, But, you know, life goes on and you have to make the best of your situation, don't you?
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. Has Michael gone to Croatia a lot?
1: Uh, When in the early years We used to go a lot He hasn't been now so For for probably about Three or four years Um, Mate hasn't been For about three or four years When they were younger Yes they used to go And spend Mate used to go With his dad And spend three months Out there you know But
0: that's great for him too yeah. Because Maybe you know there are some children with Down syndromes who never have that experience because you know they mightn't have family abroad or whatever. So it was a great experience for to go and see another culture too, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And he loves his uncle out there. His uncle Juve, of course, a wonderful cook, and he barbecues under the on the wood fire. You probably do it in Al- Alicante there as well too, do you? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, like we we've great memories of great evenings and holidays with them, you know.
0: And one thing I noticed there as well, we talk about, you know, th- those words, special needs, but sometimes they've become a real part of reality. Like I noticed there in that chapter, you have the school trip where Michael wasn't allowed to go because there wasn't, there was a lack of support. So that's where those words, special needs really come into the 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 kind of spotlight. It's there There's nobody that can look after him and, you know, maybe the parents can't go. So that's quite difficult, no?
1: Um, it's total exclusion, really, <laughs> total exclusion. And you know, I, I, I actually think the schools should advise parents. You know, like we were looking forward to the school trip all year. We had Michael's clothes packed and everything. There's was only two days beforehand. I was told he wasn't going. Then I offered to go, and they wouldn't allow me to go. So he was heartbroken that he couldn't go. Absolutely heartbroken because that was the highlight of his final year in school. I suppose they're not equipped. I can understand where they're coming from, but I do think it should be an option. Look, you know, we can't look after Michael on this school trip because we're looking after 35 other children. And Michael does need one-to-one care. His special needs assistant needs to help us with the other classmates. But he's welcome to come if you will come and take charge.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That
1: option should be there.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I think, yeah, it's it's just sometimes there's a lot of red tape bureaucracy, isn't there, politics, and people are like, well, we don't have that in place, or there's no funding, or mm. whatever, and it, it's hard, it's hard with any kind of thing, you know, and I, I noticed when Michael went to secondary school then, you know, he, I know that one of his, his most favorite things was going to and uh, from school on the bus, but one point there that I kind of stuck out for me was, they stayed in the same room all day.
1: Yeah, they did. So that
0: was quite difficult.
1: It must have been horrible. Really, it must have been horrible. You know, now the only thing is they were all pals together in the same room with two very strict teachers. Oh my God, there were two very strict teachers.
0: <laughs> what a bunch of messers.
1: I don't think I ever saw either of them smile in four years. Really? <laughs> I mean, I used to get notes. So Michael hasn't finished his homework. Michael hasn't done this. Michael hasn't done that. And uh, I used to... Uh, I used to set a timer. i said, say, "Now, Michael, we're not spending any more than an hour. We'll do what we can do in an hour, and when we've that done, we're going to stop." Um, and when we do, when we the hour done, we stop. So I just wrote, wrote wrote kept writing notes back. We did an hour. That's as much as we were able to do. End of story. But I kept getting called in and saying, "Well, he's not finishing the homework. He's not doing this. He's not doing that." But you know what, Simon? I just let it go over my head. I re- really felt we were we were singing on different hymn sheets completely. What they wanted from Michael and what I wanted were two different things.
0: And Michael got involved in the Special Olympics swimming and basketball or and bowling. And, and he was doing a basketball as well. So how was that experience, you know, trying out different sports and seeing what he liked and seeing what he didn't like? How was that?
1: Great. Special Olympics is just the most amazing organization. And I want to do a plug on the book here because uh, with regards to Michael's story, some of the proceeds from the sale of our book go to Special Olympics Ireland but that's a very important point so if anybody's buying Michael's story just bear in mind you're also supporting Special Olympics Ireland um he swims at Special Olympics um he plays basketball he plays tennis um he played bowling with Special Olympics and loved it but we've lost our bowling alley in stillorgan. And we've lost our Stillorgan Eagles bowling club and we've lost all our instructors and I've been on to Special Olympics to please find us another platform. Can we go to Bray? Can somebody take over this? Because the kids are missing it so much. So I'm waiting. They're looking into it. They promised me they will come back. They are looking to see if somebody will run the club and if we could look at going to Bray now. A A builder came in and he's building all these apartments on our bowling alley.
0: Oh, my God. Life, yeah. This is the speculators and the greedy Builders and developers, they're taking over everything, aren't they? And and we still have housing crises, you know, crises rather. Yeah. And let's talk, obviously, about Sean. Tell us about Sean and, you know, Michael and Sean shared a lot together and everything, didn't they?
1: Yeah, Michael and Sean have been pals since they were two years of age. They went through play school together. They went to separate national schools. We kept in touch through, like we're in a lot of different clubs, like Dublin South Arch Club drama clubs, music clubs, guitar classes, bowling. So we meet up with Sean at regularly at these uh various different hobby activities really. Sean is now in a different centre from Michael, so we don't see him as often. Uh, he's working too and Michael's working. So, you know, the the meetings are less and less than they used to be. But they are great pals, yeah.
0: As I was reading the book, there, there's a very special person who deserves more praise. And that's you. That's you, Avril, because that chapter on mum is lovely because, you know, you've done so much for Michael. You know, every mother does the utmost and the most they can for their children but when you have a mother who has a child with special needs they have to go out of their way and you know you sleeping on chairs in hospital visits and you know doing everything you could and obviously you know when your when your relationship changed then looking after the kids and everything so you yourself have had a tough life with that and you know reading that you know I, I, all I can say to you is like you know you've done so well you've done a magnificent job and fair play to you
1: well thank you so much but you know michael has been a blessing in our lives he's opened a lot of doors for me i have made such amazing friends of other parents who have children with special needs like as i said I was out with four of us were out last night and we just had such a nice nice evening together um and they were all doing the best too like every parent with a child with special needs puts that child first and foremost and you know they fight for everything they can and they're always trying to make sure that the child is getting the best possible life they can have and you know they're inspiring they've inspired me so much and um have to say i would never have met these wonderful people in in my life if michael hadn't come into my life you know i would have been ignorant about down syndrome totally ignorant about it
0: when michael was grown up did you find it hard to balance jobs
1: very, very difficult. Um, It was very difficult. I had worked with the, the same boss actually for 20 years plus. So he was very, very good about my time, like coming in late because of drop-offs and medical appointments or whatever. He was just wonderful. I've always made sure I work with people who understand my situation, that I have the flexibility. I can't promise you I'll be at a desk at nine o'clock in the morning. I can be at the desk at half nine. I can't promise you that I will be at a Zoom meeting at half eight in the office at of eight. Uh, you know, I can't promise these things. And uh, look, working structures have changed so much now. Anyway, when people are working from home, it's all become a lot easier. Simon, so, mean, I couldn't have done it without my mum. My mum was my backbone. Like When I was working full time, mum used to come and she'd collect Michael from school and she'd bring him for a walk and she'd read. She gave him a love for books. He loves books, Love stories. She used to read to him for hours and then she'd prepare our dinner and do my ironing. And I'd come home and dinner would be ready. And she did that for years. So, you know, without her, I
0: couldn't have done it. Michael had you, but then you had her, you know. So there's always a person there to support you. Well, hopefully there is. And I think that it's a great thing that you all had each other. Can I ask you then as well, you know, on a more personal level, when when michael was very young did you find that like your mental health and dealing with anger about the whole situation or frustration and did, did that was that did that come into your mind like this is not fair on me
1: that never that never ever came into my mind ever for one moment the one thing that did keep coming into my mind was how can i balance how can i balance and get this right how can i be a good mom and be a good provider how can I work and still make sure my child's getting the best he needs? And it was the guilt trip in my head about working when really I probably would have liked to have been in a position to have been at home, but I couldn't.
0: Yes, yes. And as Michael as Michael got older and you were preparing him for the world and you were, you know, about travel, about money management and everything. And and you know, I thought it was great there. You said there about the the Revolut app, which is a great app. And I mean, now it's changed a lot of people's lives, adults, but also how they manage the money for their children. And it's given people more options and teaching their children about money management. So explain to us about how, you know, Revolut or how the money management thing with Michael is an issue or how you solved it.
1: I'm not sure really Michael comprehends money at any level. He just knows you have to pay for things and buy them. I put money in his Revolut card on a Monday and it's attached to my phone. So the card's in my name. So I know when he's running low and I know when to top it up and whatever. So uh, he's very generous. Like every day he's at work, he comes home with something for me and something for Matthew. It could be a bottle of LucasAid for Matthew. It could be the RTE guide for me. You know, but (laughs) he comes home with something every day. He struggled with coins. He couldn't count coins really. And he always wanted notes. But, you know, it was so much better when I was able to give him the Revolut card, I always make sure he has a 20 euro note in his wallet just in case he needs it. The Revolut card, you know, it's it's just magic. I know he's never short. He's always OK when he's out and about. He has money. Does he really understand the concept of it? Well, I explained to him, well, you work, Michael, and your money goes into your Revolut card. And just remember how hard you work and you stand here for hours to earn that money. So enjoy spending it, <laughs> you know.
0: Brilliant. And that's it. And it's good because I have that with my own daughter as well and my boy. So, you know, they have that freedom, but I know what they're spending. So if they spend a little too much, I just kind of say, oh, were you at the shop or were you to buy something? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, just go easy, you know, because I have this thing where whatever money they get, I say to them, okay, so half of that, save it. And then you can do whatever with the half. And then sometimes they want to spend a bit more. And uh, so it's just nice that you can say to them in that way, you know, let's help each other control it.
1: Can I tell you a funny story, though? You did tap on travel training and travel training took us years and years and years to learn how to travel train. But just one episode, like Michael used to get the bus home and then he had to walk about. Oh, probably about 15, 20 minutes down the road. Straight walk. But this particular day, anyway, he was being shadowed. Dublin bus are very good. They help you and support you when you're travel training your child. This particular day, Dublin bus had a girl shadowing him because we were going to sign him off as being safe to travel solo. So she walked down the road behind him and then she crossed the road to our house where there's a little bench and she sat there waiting for him to come. He didn't come. And she waited and she waited. But of course, she shouldn't have crossed the road without him. Technically, she should have crossed after him. She should have been behind him the whole way. So after about 40 minutes, I get a phone call from Dublin bus to say, you know, so-and-so was shadowing him. He's got lost. We can't find him. And I said, that's strange. So I rang Michael and I said, where are you? And he says, I'm at home. And I said, how could you be at home? I said, no, I'm at home, Mum. I'm at home. And I'm thinking, how could he have passed her by? And I said, how did you get home? Did you go somewhere else? Oh, I went to the garage for Chris. I said, OK. And when you when you cross the road at the garage... Oh, he did. I didn't cross the road. I got a taxi home <laughs> across the road.
0: He got a taxi from the petrol station or the garage.
1: Across the road to our oh house. My so the poor girl from Dublin bus.
0: How much did that cost him? A tenner. A tenner. <laughs> no way. He got in in the forecourt or wherever, the shop or wherever... And he yeah. literally went like
1: went in about his 10
0: ten twenty meters, no, probably about forty meters roughly for a tenor.
1: But I just thought, well, at least he knows how to <laughs> use a taxi if he had to.
0: That's brilliant, yeah. So that was a great introduction to taxis, but but it, it um, I suppose part of it was like fair play to you did that, but now we have to talk about the money management again. <laughs> Because 10 euros for 40 meters is not great.
1: Well, I don't know. Like, that's what he told me. I couldn't, be honest. Maybe the taxi driver didn't take anything off but I'm sure.
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know, but I felt sorry for the girl from Dublin bus. She was out of her mind where had he gone, you know.
0: And you also have the thing in the college years there when you talk about he had a near experience with a car and he felt his granddad was looking out for him.
1: We did. God, it was a horrible experience. He saw me at the other side of the road, and he forgot about the lights, and he just ran across. And uh, the car missed him by inches. I didn't know whether the car hit him or not. Simon, so I lost my heart. For I'd say about a minute. It was only seconds, but it seemed like such a long time. But the driver was flying and he was probably going about 110 miles an hour because he wasn't able to stop. He got to way past the other side of the lights. And then he came roaring back at me how incompetent I was. And I wasn't a proper mother and I shouldn't do, 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 do And I'm shaking at this stage, you know. But then we realized, you know, they'd signed him off as being safe to travel. He was crossing a junction with four major roads on the N11. It was too dangerous a route, so we we Dublin bus Roger from Dublin bus who does all the travel training. I found him, and we had to reroute him. It meant taking two buses, but it was a safer route. It was a much longer journey coming home, but Michael doesn't mind. He'd stand at the bus stop for an hour. He doesn't mind, you know. <laughs> Whereas you and I would be going crazy. I loved the
0: um, you know the story about his birthday as well, the twenty first, and the uh, the guy Ben sleeping in the toilets and everything. So that was a real action packed night night, because you had Grease Lightning and the DJ and his Diet Coke and and you had a bit of drama with the guy sleeping in the bathroom. So a funny night, you know,
1: lots of those, lots of those, to be honest with you. You know, another day he was travel training and he ended up, he was coming out of college and one of his pals said to him, come on home with me today. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'll go home with you today. Of course, not thinking Uh, it was Tim, actually, his friend Tim. So they got near Tim's house and Tim got off the bus and he says, goodbye, Michael. And he left Michael on the bus. So Michael stayed on the bus. So when Michael didn't get home, of course, we're panicked. Where is he? Where is he? And nobody knew where Michael was. Michael fell asleep on the bus and he ended up in Wicklow. But I rang Dublin Bus and they were able to trace them. We were able to find out what bus number he was on. So he had to stay on the bus for two hours. Then the bus driver had an hour break and then it was a two hour bus drive back. So he was on the bus for a ride He didn't go home with anybody again.
0: You mentioned earlier there when you were talking to Michael about Rory and the island. So you you go to Puerto del Carmen, I think, in, in Lanzarote and stuff. Yeah. And tell us about that and about that, you know, connection with Rory and Rory Gallagher in in there.
1: Rory Gallagher is a very, very special person. He is just the kindest, nicest guy on planet Earth. We went to Lanzarote, probably gone a few times, but this particular time anyway, we were after having a meal. It was just Michael and myself. And I said, let's go home. And he said, no, I'd like music. I want music. And there was a tobacco shop nearby. And I thought, oh, I'll go in and get Matthew. Matthew was smoking at the time. I'll get him a, a carton of cigarettes. And um, so I went in to get the carton of cigarettes. And when I came out, Michael says, Mom, music up there, music up there. So we went up anyway. And it was Rory's first pub, the island. It was a small pub upstairs. Well, Michael was in his element. And Rory came down and spoke to him. I brought Michael up to sit beside the stage. So can I tell you, for the next seven nights, we ended up going there every single night. And Lanzarote now is uh, like Rory. Rory's the attraction, you know. That's the only reason Mike must go on holidays with me anymore. Other than that, he wouldn't want to go on holidays with me. So, like, if we're going out to something to eat first, he says, "Bring your book," and I says, "Why? Because I I'm going to Rory. You can sit and read your book." So, like, I have to stay and let him have an hour or so on his own with Rory before I appear. You know,
0: he's using you to get to Rory.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I understand. Yeah, he wants that time. He wants that time. That's really nice, though, I mean, because, you know, we all have something special in our life, and it's great for him that he has that to look forward to. And it's it's very good that Rory takes that time and makes the effort for him, you know?
1: Ah, oh, he's a lovely guy, absolutely. But he he, he moved to Scotland, and then the, he closed his bar. And then, of course, we haven't gone to Lanzarote for the last two years because Rory wasn't there. But now he's opened up again another bar in Lanzarote. So uh, hopefully we look forward to going back. Later on in the year,
0: yeah. Wow, that'll be nice. That'll be a nice reunion. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: For sure, for sure. Tell us a little about the LIFE program, you know, how that works and how it's helped Michael.
1: The LIFE program was probably one of the best programs we were on. We worked with a special needs assistant, Michelle, who was pretty dynamic at pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. There was computer studies, there was arts, there was the Goschka Awards, the President's Award. M- Michelle actually pushed Michael and Sean forward to do the Goschka Awards. It was time consuming, they had to do a lot of voluntary work, they had to work in pubs, they had to do the tidy towns, clean the streets of Dunleary, they had to do a couple of nights away on their own with with their key worker, and they did the bronze award, and then they went on to do. It's an ECB course, uh, as well too. So they get a certificate level three at the end of it. So you know it was good. I learned a lot of computer skills on that course. I have to say, a lot of travel training. Michelle did a huge amount of travelling training because they were going to different areas. You know, they were going to art colleges. They were going to computer colleges in Teely They were going to Lockland sports Centre. It was a great education, that life program. And um, then we went ahead and did the Silver Goshka Awards. That was even more intense. And it was a really uplifting night, the awards. I think there were 149 people got the President's Silver Award that night. And Michael and Sean were the only two Down syndrome children to get that award. Wow. So it was a fantastic award. Yeah.
0: that That's amazing. That's really good. And, you know, it's great to see them going for that kind of a thing. And because, you know... It's great to have a focus or a goal in life. It doesn't matter what your afflictions are or or what kind of way your life is going. It's nice to have something to work towards, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We are going to do the Gold Award. I just need somebody to work with me in John of Gods because I need help at the other end doing it because they're a huge contributor to getting Michael to the level we need to for that. But he has silver and he has bronze. And I think, yes, we need to go
0: for the gold as well. Yeah. And I want to talk a little about, obviously, Michael and with work and working with stores, But before we get to that, I just want to kind of look into the area of when Michael's grandmother died, because through his life, I'm sure he's had maybe friends or like married. the teaching assistant died. Did he learn lessons from that episode with Mara then that he applied when you, his grandmother died?
1: It's all very sad for him dealing with death. He doesn't cope very well with it. And like every so often, you know, he just burst into tears and he says, I miss my grandma. I get that still. Or granddad, or granddad. My father died shortly before my mom. You know, death, he, he, he thinks like, you know, I suppose I've put it in a simple way for him. Like, you know, we are here and we go on to another life. And like when he sees a robin in the garden he says to me, Oh, there's grandma She's eating breadcrumbs Okay
0: <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I never <laughs> Because someone said for example, you know, my, my granny came back as the cat and then he's coming in saying, the cat is shitting all over the garden you said, That but that's not grandmother <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I've always said to him, when you see a robin, that's a sign that your loved ones are looking after you. So it could be grandma, it could be granddad, or it could be Mariaida, it could be one of these people that have gone. But we have a robin in our garden continuously. And he just said, Oh look look what grandma's doing now.
0: <laughs> grandma's doing and now. It's the robin. Yeah, gra- grandma has become really personal in the Robin. You know, then as Michael became an adult and, you know, he had college years and lots of amazing episodes in the book. There's so many, it's hard to go into detail, but I let the people kind of read the book. But When he became an adult then, did things change for him in the way that normal 20-year-olds like with love and with relationships? And tell us about how you approached him going into his 20s and how he approached it.
1: Sort of, I suppose, a gradual process. And, you know, because it's so gradual, you really don't see any change per se. I mean, he doesn't have a girlfriend. Uh, he's he's a real man's man like he's into the football into the soccer into going to the pub with the guys uh, I'd love if he had a relationship I'd love if he had a friend as a girlfriend he had a, a very good friend in primary school Ashling, who was his friend right through and now when we pass our house he says there's my ex's house well,
0: you're kind of thinking but does she know she was your ex you know <laughs> because it, it is quite interesting isn't it because yeah, yeah. I think What's opened up our mind when we think about children nowadays and all the different genders and people's sexuality, but also people with Down syndrome have needs and desires. And some of them mightn't show it, but like, so it's an interesting idea, the fact that some of them might fall in love, but then as a a young man. There's lust and desire and they might see a girl that they fancy. And, and, you know, other people might understand how they express it.
1: He has a bit of a wild imagination, Simon. He lives in a bit of a fantasy world sometimes. So he says to me, apparently he's not unique in this. Of the group I was with last night, they have the same issue. Michael has an imaginary wife. Her name is Kimberly. She's the Pink Ranger. You
0: know? Right. The red is the favourite colour in the, the Power Rangers.
1: She's the pink one and he's the red one. And they have four children. Because when we're going out in the morning, I say, come on, Michael, hurry up, we're going to be late. And he says, wait, I need to get Tom. And he's going into the sitting room and he's opening the door and he's opening the front door. Tom, into the car now. There's no Tom. This is Michael's imaginary world. I, I assume this is the world he's hoping is going to happen. This is the world that will be his world. He will have a wife and he will have a child. And at the moment, he's living... It through his imagination. And one of the girls said to me last night, that's really weird you're telling that story because my son is the exact same.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So, you know, they have this other world. It's a fantasy world.
0: Right. Well,
1: I mean, the
0: thing, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, we all have fantasies, whether it be online or fantasies as children, but sometimes it's a place to get away from things. And, you know, if you have something in your life that ails you or that doesn't make you able to live a normal life. Why not? I mean, if that makes your life happier, why not?
1: Well, I was very concerned a couple of years ago when it came, you know, when he was kept talking about Kimberly. Mum, go out of the room. Kimberly's asleep. <laughs> I say, where is Kimberly like? And I took him for a psychological assessment and we went for eight psychological assessments, which was a waste of time, really, because at the end of it, they just said to me, ignore it.
0: Right. Just
1: ignore it. So, do you know what? I go with it. I ignore it. I let him have his little fantasy if he wants to, and that's it.
0: We were talking earlier about some of the illnesses Michael has had and some of the problem as a child with swallowing and throat problems. So I noticed then later as he got older and through his life, he's had choking episodes. So how do you combat that now? Or or like, is it something that pops up regularly?
1: With Down syndrome children, their their tubes are probably, I think it's 30% smaller than yours or mine. So all of the sinuses, the tubes to the ears, the swallow, Just think of everything as being 30% less. So if you can eat a piece of steak that you can chew quite comfortably, Michael would not not be able to eat that. We don't give him very hard, solid food as such. Like it's cut up very small. He's had a few choking episodes. One was quite severe and the ambulance men here were here for half an hour and then we ended up going into hospital because they weren't sure if the food had gone into his lung. We went back to our ENT doctor and he discovered that which was such a simple solution, really, because we were petrified when he was eating, really, at at this point, you know. But when sinuses were getting blocked, the ears were getting blocked as well. So the hearing was curtailed by this as well. But he was able to put a tube up Michael's nose and allow me to see into the back of his throat. And it was like a tap dripping with mucus. And he said, that's where all the mucus is going. So what's happening is, he said, when he's eating maybe a piece of toast and the food is hard, it gets lodged, it gets stuck in there. It's not so much that he's actually choking, it's just the food isn't going down. So he gave us advice to use a sinus rinse, use it every single day, use it twice a day if it's bad, use it three times a day if it's bad, that'll keep the sinus passages clear to stop the mucus from backing up. So we've been doing that ever since and thank God it's been working. And did the
0: pandemic... Was that something, you know, because I know you have a chapter about this as well, but with the pandemic, was that something that was very challenging for you both?
1: No, well, we loved it. We actually loved
0: it. <laughs> you loved it. Right. But there was no there was no illness concerns or COVID risks or anything?
1: Uh, we wrote the book. That was our COVID project. Mike and I used to come into the office and I'd say, now what do we talk about today? And we'd make a list and then you know, he'd say, Write it, Mum, write it, write it and then I when I had the chapter ready I'd read it and he said, I want more, I want more and I said, Okay, let's see now what we'll write about next. So Michael and I, that's what we did during COVID.
0: You know, there's a a chapter in the book about being blamed wrongly and I won't go to say too much about it, but you had that incident and I'm sure other people in similar situations have incidences with Down syndrome children or even any children with any kind of special needs or learning difficulties where they can be misunderstood and in the wrong situation. So do you want to tell us a bit about that without going into too much detail, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael was swimming in our local pool with his group and special needs assistant, I wasn't aware. Nobody went into the changing rooms with them. With Special Olympics, there's a criteria where you know, somebody must be present to ensure that there's no abuse happening in the changing rooms. But I wasn't aware with college that this wasn't happening. Anyway, Michael was had a swim and he was getting changed. And being the friendly type of guy he is, he obviously said to start to try and converse with this guy. And the guy ran out and his mother was outside and told her that he had been assaulted in the changing rooms. That was the word he used. I think he was 10. That guy, 10 or 11. Assault. So, of course, the staff, the woman screamed and the staff were called and the guards are called and I'm phoned. And I come down and I, I, I can't get up. There's two squad cars outside the swimming pool. Four guards there. This woman, yeah, this woman and child had left. And I said, what's going on here? And the key worker said to me, um, apparently the child had made a charge against Michael that he had assaulted him in the changing room. I said, sure, Michael wouldn't hurt a fly. He wouldn't know how to assault somebody. Um. Anyway, the guards knew we were very, very upset and uh, they said, look, we think this woman is a hysterical woman. We think the child probably hadn't encountered a Down syndrome child before, didn't know how to deal when Michael tried to talk to him. Like Michael would be kind of a touchy-feely child. He might have gone over and touched him he says, how are you or something like that, you know. And the child, anyway, you know, it was a horrible time for a couple of days because we didn't know whether we were going to have an assault charge put against a mural.
0: The thing is, in that kind of a situation, when somebody can't communicate and you have to be their translator or communicator, imagine if that had gone further and you had to go to court or anything. I mean, it's, it's a very delicate situation. And, you know, this is the problem, isn't it, that Sometimes a lot of Down syndrome children are very affectionate as well.
1: But that's it Simon, they are.
0: That's the thing, yeah. And so someone else can misunderstand that as a different thing. So it's it's quite a challenge, isn't it, to teach those kids and to teach other people this is normal, don't worry about this.
1: For uh, probably the best part of an hour and asked loads and loads of questions and said if they had anything else they'd come back to us, but they felt it was totally unnecessary to call out, you know. But I I took it up then with Saint John of God's. I said, like, there's something very wrong here. Why are you allowing kids into a changing room with no supervision? You know how vulnerable our children are. And you're we putting them in that position, like so anyway, the, the laws change now when the children go swimming. Some of the staff have to be in the charging room. Right. And,
0: and it's only right. It's only right because I don't want to say you're protecting both sides because it sounds like one side is a danger. But with the kids with special needs, you're protecting their ignorance of these situations and something that they think is completely innocent. Absolutely. Whereas usually it's the parents that bring up the problem. And how was that mother after that? Did she apologise? Was she adamant that something had
1: happened? No, never apologised. Right. She was gone by the time I had arrived. So I don't know what she was like. Um, They they just said, you know, uh, you know, we don't expect that there's going to be any charges. The information passed on by the child was incorrect. I kind of felt that the staff in, in the sports centre were looking at us it as if we would 10 heads. And I said, look, nothing happened here you know I want him to be able to come back to this place and swim and enjoy swimming so anyway look we never heard any further about it
0: no but that's great I'm glad it worked out like that so we were talking earlier about Michael's working life and, and you know he's working in done stores and so tell us about that like when did he decide he wanted to work and were you adamant oh no you're not going to work or how was that conversation
1: oh no Simon I was adamant he was going to work
0: <laughs> oh you were adamant <laughs> right? alright I mean... You were like, if you're going to get taxis from across the road, you're going working.
1: (laughs) It was to give him a lifeline. It was to give him a purpose. It was to give him a a focus on his day. It was to give him a a whole new batch of friends. It was to give him independence. Like It was everything I wanted for him was to get a job. Even though everybody was saying from the inner circle, no, he won't be able to hold down a job. Only 3% of people with special needs hold down jobs. We're going to be one of those 3%. I had put it out there to the universe. But anyway... We applied for a job online, and we went up to Dunstors head office in Corners Court, and the girl was wonderful. And she, he he was really taken at the interview. She said to him, "I like your tie." Of course, he's wearing a red tie, and he says, "I bought it in Dunstors." <laughs>
0: <laughs> brownie points
1: anyway in fairness to her she said look we will take him on for 10 weeks let's see how we go it was kind of the middle of october so it was for the pre-christmas run up in corners court and he was in the men's department he was hanging shirts on the racks he was hanging jackets he was emptying boxes he was recycling the rubbish and his manager was just a great guy but after christmas anyway the job ended and i thought oh no that's such a pity because he loved it so then, as luck would have it, didn't Dunstores open at uh, Dunstores Newtown Park Avenue, right across the road from our house? Anna, I, I thought, well, I will let them settle in for a few weeks, and then I'll go over and ask. So I went over and asked him to be any jobs. I said, "Yeah, we're looking for staff." And I said, "Well, now Mike, she said, "he'd have to go training, He'd have to go on training up to Cornell's Court for two weeks." I said, "Oh no, he's done his training." So I brought over the CV, and we got a phone call. He started in ten days' time. So he can walk across the road.
0: That's brilliant. And he he loves it. He loves it.
1: He loves it. The staff are all local people. The shoppers are all local so they know him. And they've promoted the book so heavily in that particular store. You know, they have it sitting right at the cash desk. You couldn't miss it. Like he's in the
0: shop working and he looks over and he sees his book on the shelf.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. You probably don't. You're not familiar with Fair City, that program over there, are you?
0: Yeah, no, I know it.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know the guy Paul who plays Paul the baddie in it? Well, Paul was in the shop one day and, of course, Michael goes over and he says, oh, I love you on Fair City. And uh, he says, buy my book. <laughs> handed him the book, handed him the book. And he's always watching out for people he knows. And he doesn't miss an opportunity. Like, you know, he's there plugging the book himself.
0: One thing there that was interesting to me was the whole revenue story. So the revenue, were investigating him because he was working. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, but this was something I wasn't aware of, and this is probably why a lot of people with special needs don't seek job because when you're working, then you have to do an income return every year. So you're not going over your limits. Yeah, we had a revenue inspection, which was horrible. Like they went through absolutely everything here. But at the end, anyway, you know, when we were near the end, the guy in social welfare, I phoned him and he said to me, oh, you're clear now. He said, everything's fine. Of course it was clear. We're living by the rules. I said, can you tell me why we were investigating? He said, oh, we got a tip off from revenue. A tip-off from you. I don't believe that. I think it was just because he, you know, he gets a disability allowance. He's only allowed to work so many hours. He, we ha- his income has to be at a certain threshold, which is sad because it's preventing people from going into the workplace.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, you it's know? bureaucracy once again, and it's not doing anybody any harm. And they're just, it's crazy. And it's a terrible job to be in, to have to go out and investigate somebody with any special needs for, you know, infringing these stupid rules.
1: Simon, I don't know. These people in these jobs don't really know what they're dealing with. They should know. You know, there should be a code to say, I don't know, maybe a C or a a D or something that says this child has special needs. Like, you know, as part of of, of the living process here, we were advised when he was 18 to put him on the housing list. Michael's never going to be offered a house, but we were told to put him on the housing list. We get a letter from the county council every year to say, Michael's still on the housing this, has your condition improved since last year? Like he's down his down syndrome. Like, you know, they're not educated into or reading these, you know, like he's down syndrome. Down syndrome isn't going to magically just disappear overnight. It's not going to get any better.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I like I love the, the, the Trump thing, you know, because you mentioned the red tie, yeah? So I love that Trump is copying me. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah.
1: When when Trump went out, he came in here to me. I was in the office working one day and he says, Oh yippee, Trumpy Trump is gone. And I said, What? And he said I said, I thought you liked him and he said, Hmm. Oh well he wears red ties. Mum, he copies me. <laughs> that, that's brilliant.
0: That's brilliant.
1: Trumpy eat your heart out. <laughs> there's so much
0: in the book, there's so much to talk about. But, you know, I let people read the book and get all of that. But I hope we've given them a little teaser of different things from us. Just moving forward then with Michael, you know, the age he's at, do, do you, you know, as he gets older and as you get older, how do you see his life evolving and how do you see him looking after himself and so on? Or have you, have you had to put in a plan of action to... So he's cared for as you get older.
1: Well, his brother has assured me for years and years, mum, no matter what happens, Michael will be with me. And I have to hold my hand on my heart and hope that's what's going to happen. That whatever I leave behind will go to the two of them and provide for them. Um, I don't think too far ahead, Simon. I'm not good at looking forward. I like to stay in the now. I like to be present and enjoy Day by day, I don't plan ahead very far in my life. Um, I just hope like whatever happens will happen for our better good.
0: Well, that's great. Well, you know, you know. I, I, I always say to people when they've like when they've done so well with their life, and you know, it's a common expression. of Mine, I always say, I want to commend you for doing a great job. But for you, I really want to say it because I have great admiration for what you've done and what you're doing. And you know, well done. And I know that that it's been a struggle. And you know, you've you've just done a fantastic job. And You know, the other part to commend you for is that you're releasing this book that's giving information to other people and it's putting the story out there for other mothers and fathers and parents with Down syndrome children or children with special needs of how you can live a happy life when your child has this condition.
1: Yeah. Sorry, just to go back on one last thing when you said about planning for the future, you do have to put financial planning and structures in place, you know, so like if if his brother does undertake to the task mask down the road and hopefully michael's dad will buckle in too if anything happens to me um but that, that the resource they're there to help them with whatever they have to do going forward, you know. That's really good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, you know, thank you very much for coming on the show. You know, the book is in Dunn Stores. Where else is the book? Where else can people get the book?
1: At the moment, the book is in Dunn Stores. It's in 38 outlets uh, nationwide. It's on com online, if you went to their book section. It's also on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on a number of the online shops, but we'll be in a few more places
0: soon. Brilliant, brilliant. And we we will post the links everywhere we can. We'll share them. We'll encourage people to read it. It's a great book. And it's, it's some wonderful writing. And, you know, it's great to see that when you were doing the writing and Michael was pushing you even more. I want to put more information in because there's a wealth of information in there. And it's great that it's not just your story with him, but it's his story with you.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely, it's a joint venture. And I think we both enjoy doing it you know.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, Avril Smith, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for taking the time and give a big thank you to Michael. And we wish both of you the best of luck with the book and with your futures.
1: Thanks indeed, Simon. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Avril, for coming on the show. That was a really heartfelt conversation. It was nice to hear from Michael, even though it was briefly. Your story has truly touched our hearts and opened our eyes to the joys and challenges of growing up with Down syndrome. We're grateful for your honesty, resilience and the valuable insights you shared. Avril, your unwavering commitment to providing the best opportunities for Michael and Michael's indomitable spirit remind us all of the power of love, determination and embracing life's unique perspectives your book Michael's story is a true testament to your journey and a source of inspiration for anyone seeking hope and understanding if you would like to learn more about Avril and Michael's incredible journey be sure to grab a copy of their book Michael's story available now done stores Goodreads, Amazon.com all over the place it's a remarkable account that offers guidance advice and a glimpse into the extraordinary life of a young man who continues to defy expectations and live life to the fullest thank you Avril and Michael for joining us today and sharing your story with me and with our listeners with such openness and authenticity your voices will undoubtedly resonate with our listeners leaving a lasting impact on their hearts and minds so thank you very much for listening to this wonderful episode I hope it resonated with you and maybe it's your story maybe it's somebody you know but we're very glad avril and michael could be here and we hope you really enjoyed it so spread the word with your friends everybody please subscribe and follow the show my name is simon k this is the collective whisper podcast and until the next time look after yourself your friends your family and the people you love take care bye bye